Trivia, the podcast where we confuse grapefruits with oranges. This is your host, Bren. I'm Jonathan. We have a very special guest with us today. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm uh, Elizabeth K. Joseph, and I'm a sysadmin working at HP on the OpenStack infrastructure. All right. It's <laughs> good enough. So we, we covered your name. We covered what you do for a living. Yeah. How old were you when you first got started in tech, and what got you interested? Let's see. So... And I got my first computer when I was like fifth grade or something. But that was, I was mostly like writing stories and playing games. So I wouldn't really say that I was getting into tech things. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was just like playing around in user land. And then I didn't really know that it was like a career for a very long time. So I was in high school. And since I'm old, I graduated in 1999. And like, internet had just started coming to our school. I didn't have it at my house till 1998. And uh, I. One of the first things I did when I got online was I joined a chat room, which happened to be on an IRC network. So I was like on IRC pretty early on. And then that got me hanging out with really geeky people who then said, hey, you should make a website. So like I started doing websites and I started programming IRC bots. So this is all when I'm like 16, 1998, 1999 timeframe. So it was, it was a hobby fun thing that I did for a while there. All right. Pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess what eventually made that transition into more of a career path for you then? Even though I was like doing all this sort of scripting and, and web development stuff, I still didn't think it was a career. So I, I finished high school and I I took a year off, uh, which turned into 15 years before going to college. I, hadn't, I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I, I played around with computers for years after that. And then like when I was, I think, 20... 21, I got some contract work as a web developer for a little web development company in Philadelphia. So that was like my first real job using, doing like anything in tech. And then the tech market sort of went bad and I couldn't find a job for a while. So it wasn't until 2006 that I started doing actual systems administration in Linux. And I'd been using Linux since like 2002 or so. Who would you say has been personally influential to you in, in your career and your pursuit of projects and, and your general interest in tech? Yeah, there's there's a lot of people. I mean, I think it was my, my uncle who worked at IBM who actually got us our first computer. Oh, so nice. I, I, I sort of knew that like he was a programmer and that he did computer things um, and worked for a computer company. So that was cool. And then I, I was using Windows when I was doing like the IRC bot stuff and the making websites thing back in the day. But my, my ex-husband, Michael Bevilacqua, he got me, he got like Linux installed on one of my computers for the first time for me. So for a while I was using like wicked old version of Red Hat. You mean there's and... a recent version of Red Hat? Yeah. yeah it's I right was just going to say, like, the computer <laughs> sitting behind me right now doesn't feel that modern. <laughs> no, this is like Red Hat 7.2. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that, it was, it was 2002. That was before RHEL. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that, that was okay. this versioning. So it's not like Red Hat 7 now. This yeah. is like Red Hat 7, like, then. <laughs> Years ago, yeah. Yeah. So he helped me, like, get started with Linux, and I went with him to Linux users group meetings, and he was a systems administrator. So, like, I saw what he was doing, and I'm like, hey, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so it was a while before I actually, like, was adminning my own system. But I, I eventually did when uh, he switched to Gen 2, and I wasn't too keen on it. And I'm like, I'm going to go back to Debian. Yeah, he was he was influential certainly, and then my colleagues at my first job as a systems administrator they were super important to me. Uh, they got me going with like 
I was a junior admin, and I didn't really know if I wanted to be an ad sysadmin or a programmer at the time, so they sort of gave me projects that, that tested both sides, and I sort of went the sysadmin way. And then there's, you know, I, I do a lot of work in the Ubuntu community, so there are a lot of people there who are really cool. All right, so uh, next question. What projects are you most proud of, and um, are there any projects that you're a part of that you're really excited for, and then they kind of fell through? You know, what did you learn from those experiences, whether it be the successful projects or maybe the not-so-successful projects? I don't like this question. Next. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's okay to be proud of some things, you know, like... I just, I just can't think of anything. <laughs> that's fine. We can move on. How do you generally give back to the greater community? Oh, that's a fun question. So I, you know, I say I work for HP um, on the infrastructure team for OpenStack, but I also, uh, I do a lot of work with Ubuntu, the, the, the open source project. But you are not employed by them. No, I've never been employed by them. I just like okay. the open source project. I do a lot of like local stuff here in California. I'm, I'm based out of San Francisco, and I so I, I host events that have to do with Ubuntu. A lot of like informal meet and greet sort of things, and also like ISO testing and QA events for quality assurance. Uh, so I do some stuff with Ubuntu. I'm also part of an organization called Partimus, and we put Linux-based computers into public schools here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So that's actually helping kids who don't have computers in their schools otherwise. Oh, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah I it's think a fun that's project. Really cool. I appreciate um, that a lot. Thanks. Yeah, and it was also, and I've also made a lot of re really great like industry contacts through that too. Other people doing similar stuff in schools, other people doing things other places in the world. In 2012, I went with an organization called Computer Reach to Ghana in Western Africa to deploy computers to schools there. So that was a lot of fun. I took like a month off of work and like just decided. I told my boss, I'm like, I'm going to Africa in October, and he's like, okay. <laughs> so that was fun. All right, this one's related to your work at HP. So uh, what do you find most remarkable about the OpenStack project and its infrastructure architecture? Yeah, so uh, if, if listeners are not aware, um, OpenStack is a open source project to build clouds. Like if you wanted to run your own Amazon EC2 kind of deal, you could use software like OpenStack um, to run a cloud and have customers and all that kind of stuff. So that's OpenStack. When I started working on the infrastructure team a little over two years ago, I I hardly really hardly had any experience with OpenStack. They were hiring me as a sysadmin for the infrastructure itself. So part of the way they were selling this to me was that the infrastructure for the OpenStack project, the code review system, our continuous integration system, all of our IRC bots, all of our wikis, and all of the stuff that a project needs to run is all open source. So it is an open source project unto itself. And even if this OpenStack thing doesn't work out, we are building an infrastructure that's reusable and kind of awesome for any other project to use. I mean, that's that's definitely what got me interested, and that's what's kept me interested all this time. Just because I, I really believe in building an open source infrastructure and being able to share that with everyone. Like, all of our public configs are public, and everything we do is pretty much in the open. So, yeah, that's that. What GNU Linux distributions have you used? You mentioned Gentoo and uh, Ubuntu. Are there, were there any others, and what did you like and dislike about them that ultimately decided whether you stayed with them or moved on to others? Yeah, so I, you know, I said I started with you know, Ancient Red Hat. And I, I used that, I think, for like nine months. And then I, you know, I started going to the Linux users group meetings and everyone at, at the Philadelphia Linux users group was using like Debian. So I kind of, you know, peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so I switched to Debian because that's what everyone else was using and I, I could get support for that. 
So I, I used Debian for a while. And then of course my boyfriend at the time, he's like, let's let's check out Gentoo. Let's start using Gentoo. So we switched all of, he switched all our machines to Gentoo. And I I remember at the time, this was like 2003. So Gentoo breaks sometimes. Yes. <laughs> we, <laughs> no, it doesn't. We've, we've talked about Gentoo plenty of times on the podcast so far. So so at the time, like this was like pre-wiki, I think, um, but they did have an amazing support forum. Like Gentoo's support forum was the best one ever. I think Ubuntu forum's probably better now, but... Was that before they even had the stage 3 tarball? No, they had it, but it wasn't, like, default. Okay. I think everyone is still, like, installing from stage one, which was, you know, stupid. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. A waste of time. Um, totally, yeah. So, you know, as I, I was using Gentoo, and this is sort of when I became, like, started doing my own things with my computer rather than having my boyfriend admin everything for me. Every single time I'd upgrade, something would break, right? And then I'd go to the forums and I'd fix it and I'd be like, okay, this is annoying and I don't like this. So then I thought, you know, maybe I'll just start, it, start installing like everything that's a dash bin. So like, I'm never compiling LibreOffice again or OpenOffice, like, cause that is dumb. And I'm never compiling Mozilla again. So I'm going to install the dash bin of everything I can find. And at some point I realized that since I'm just installing the binaries anyway, I should probably just switch back to a binary based distribution so right <laughs> good call yeah so uh that's when i switched back to debian so this is like 2004 probably that was debian and then i did a little bit of deb based distro hopping um i don't even remember what i tried but ubuntu was definitely among them and ubuntu actually worked on my laptops with like wi-fi and stuff so that was cool so i started playing around with that so then i think pretty much 2005 till now i've been using a, either debian or ubuntu Ubuntu mostly on my desktops, actually Zubuntu with an X, XFCE version. And then on my servers, I still mostly use Debian. Um, and then at work, um, in the OpenStack infrastructure, we pretty much use Ubuntu for everything, except for we've got a few CentOS boxes. That's really interesting. So I don't really, I haven't really distro hopped for a very long time. I, I have more interesting things to do, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. She's better than us. <laughs> we, well, we've, we've already gotten our, our distro hopping out of the way. You know, so. It's true. We're pretty pretty happy where we're at. Um, well, given your involvement with Ubuntu and your work with it at work, what do you think they could benefit most by improving? Because it is kind of like the go-to distribution for a lot of newer people and older people alike, I guess. But Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one thing they could do is a, a better job of supporting their users with not great hardware. Ubuntu really tries to focus on the latest and the greatest, so they have like 3D acceleration happening like by default all the time, which is all kinds of fun in VirtualBox. <laughs> and they're really trying to, you know, deploy a, a operating system that is for new computers. Like it's not just the thing you put on your old computer that's broken down and can't use Windows anymore. Like they want to be the premium operating system. So I understand that view. But in, you know, my work with local Ubuntu groups and with the schools, that's really not the kind of people we encounter. I mean, it's not that they can't afford new hardware or that they're putting it on their old hardware because they have newer hardware they want to run the real operating system on. It really is just that their hardware is older and it can't run the latest Ubuntu. So there, there are flavors, right? Like there's the Ubuntu that I use and there's uh, Lubuntu with LXDE, but they're just not, they're not prominent on Ubuntu's website and they're not, they're not very well supported to be honest. I mean, they, they have really awesome committed teams, but the teams are fully volunteer based and they're really small. So it'd be nice. Oh. I, yeah. I thought Zubuntu was incorporated into Canonical. Is that not true? Well, so all of these are recognized flavors. So the ISOs are spun up in Canonical on Canonical servers. They're served off of Canonical server. Canonical owns Zubuntu.org and the respective trademarks and copyrights we need. But, but they don't staff it. 
No, so like they support Zubuntu in the fact that they host our ISOs and like Ubuntu's release is dependent on Zubuntu and Ubuntu and Kubuntu also having solid releases. Like they if if they can't build the the Zubuntu ISO, they can't release Ubuntu. So they they are sort of like supporting us and in a, I say us because I'm part of the Zubuntu team actually. They're supporting these flavors in that way. It's just like if you install def default Ubuntu, that's kind of all you get with the 3D acceleration and the need fast computerness of it. Very cool. I was under the previous misconception, as, as many people probably are, that you had worked at Canonical, but that is, that is not true. You just do a, a shit ton for Ubuntu. I, I mean, a metric shit ton. I, you've you've run the PA loco out here for a little bit before you moved out there. You uh, you were almost always in the, the IRC channels providing support, so you you've done a, a lot of a lot of work. I see here that you're the admin of not Canonical, but the Launchpad group. Uh, what is that? Oh, so it was it was started kind of as a joke. There are a lot of the, us in the Ubuntu community who don't actually work for Canonical, but people always think we do. This is either either because they see us doing a lot of work in the community, so they assume that if they have this much time, they must be being they must be paid. Right. Truth is, I just I just have you know a husband who works a lot, and I I don't have kids, and I telecommute, so I've got like the trifecta of free time. <laughs> So, so there's some people that just think we just do so much that we have to be employed. Um, and then there's like people sort of from the outside of the community who think that like Ubuntu equals canonical. Like if you're doing work on Ubuntu, you're obviously employed by canonical. So people will come to like our local events, um, like our Ubuntu hours where we just like hang out in a coffee shop and chat about Ubuntu for an hour. Um, they'll come there and be like, I want to talk to a canonical person. And we'll be like, well, there aren't any here because they don't really come to these things. And then they, they're like disappointed. I'm just as much Ubuntu as anyone who's ever been paid to work on it, right? <laughs> but right, there's You're probably I mean, more open Ubuntu. source is <laughs> yeah. I mean, open them's, them's fighting words. <laughs> open source is confusing to people, so um, so yeah, so like we started the not canonical group because like, which is just a team in Launchpad, like it's just a list of names uh, of people who don't work for for canonical, but constantly get confused for people who do and the the guy who's the guy who started it actually got hired by canonical, and that's why he gave me ownership of the team, and that's how I learned he got oh, cool. hired. <laughs> <laughs> nice very cool so it, it's sort of like a dual purpose where it, it gives like an extra special recognition for all the all the hard work you put into it but also it clarifies for maybe newcomers that you're not actually employed by canonical you just know a lot about ubuntu <laughs> yeah i mean it's not like it, it's front and center anywhere so like people might stumble upon it so i don't know that it actually like means anything really but <laughs> <laughs> eh, it's there it's always nice to have your name up somewhere <laughs> Given all that talk about Canonical and Ubuntu, if you were to seek a position with a new company and you're guaranteed a position, what companies are interesting to you? So I, I was thinking about this, and I, I don't think it's really so much about the company. When I was looking for a job a couple of years ago, it didn't matter what the company did. It was more about the team I was joining. In my first sysadmin job, the senior sysadmin who was helping train me, he left about a year and a half after I started. So I sort of took on all of his work. So I spent like, you know, four years being along with my boss. Like we were both like the ad the top admins. Like we were, he was on call all the time. And then I was sort of like, he could call me. <laughs> um, it was a small company. So, you know, it was, it was a lot of stress and it was a lot. I mean, and also like I was learning from myself and we were learning together, but I really wanted a bigger team. So when I started like looking for a job, it didn't matter what the company did. I wanted to look at what their sysadmin team looked like. And it's interesting here in, in San Francisco and in Silicon Valley, you get sort of both ends of the spectrum. I mean, you got companies like Google and Facebook who have these massive 
SRE, uh, Site Reliability Engineers, who are sysadmins, um, who work on, you know, massive teams for a massive company. And then you have these startups and you go into the interview and they're like, we're just a bunch of developers and we put together this system, which now became popular. So we need a real sysadmin to come in and fix it. You'll be on call 24 hours. And you can't break it. Oh. So I didn't want that. <laughs> yeah. Who really would? <laughs> right. Well, I feel like I mean, I and they didn't pay for it. Startups, yeah. <laughs> you should move here. Well, you know, I may be heading that way. In there a you go, Jason. So I guess we'll see. Everybody's leaving the west, the east oh. coast. He's already yeah, left, I left the east coast. I left a long coast. time ago now. <laughs> oh, I know, but like you're at least like halfway, kind of. Yeah, no, it's like a black sort of. a black hole over here. We suck everyone in. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, but you know, so when I was looking for a company, I wanted. First, I wanted a company that was open source aware. So when I was a, was approached by people about HP, I'm like, is that really legit? Right. <laughs> so when I was interviewing with people, like one of the things I was feeling for was like, are they for real open source people or do they like not get it at all? And like everyone I talked to was totally like hardcore open source. Like, I don't care where my paycheck comes. I just want to work on open source. And I'm like... Ah, these are my people. <laughs> um, and then, Very and then cool. I, I also wanted a team I could learn for because I was, you know, as the senior person for so long at the last place, I knew I had a lot more to learn. So I didn't want to be like the lead person again who was on call all the time. So having having a team of really smart people around me was important. And I think that's what I'd look for again. I don't necessarily need to work for a giant company who has, you know, massive sysadmin team, but I don't want to be the only one, and I don't want to be one of a team of two or three or four. Well, that's kind of the situation I'm in now. And granted, yeah. I mean, the stakes are a little, I don't want to say they're not as high here because what happens at BioFrontiers is really important in terms of advancing scientific knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not going to be like, if, if, if a system goes down here, nobody's going to be tweeting about it and telling everybody. So nobody's going to be pointing the finger, so to speak. And I think that's the difference. Yeah, I'll, I'll also mention, yeah, like I, I'm not sad about the fact that I don't go on call anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I do it again if I have to, but that sounds really yeah, unpleasant. I can I can relate to that. It's it's nice having my evenings back. And I can like sleep through the night without worrying. <laughs> yeah. Now if you were if you were to totally switch, you know, careers, just get away from tech totally, what area would you go into? What would you pursue? So do I have to make money? No, no. Okay, so if there was no question of money, I have always joked that if I all of a sudden became independently wealthy, wealthy, like I'd give up this computer thing and fly to Asia to go save the tigers. That's pretty cool. That's not something you hear every day, you know? <laughs> I love animals, and I read these stories, and I'm so sad. I just want to join one of these crazy nonprofits where you, like, sit in a tree and, like, save tigers for some reason. I don't know why you'd be in a tree, but, it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so the tiger doesn't attack you. <laughs> <laughs> right? No. <laughs> but, you know, just... I, I love animals, then. If I had to make money, probably... No, I don't know. I also really like history and, like, archaeology and stuff. Like, I get, like, history magazines and archaeology magazines. So I really like all those kinds of things. So I'd have to do a lot of school. Then I'd actually have to, like, get grants. And I don't think grant writing is fun. No. No, it, it doesn't seem it. I don't think <laughs> fun. School? I, I, did, I didn't even find school to be that fun, either, so... Me neither. That's why I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel like a loner over here. <laughs> the cheese stands alone. So are you currently working on any projects, whether it be open source or at work, something you can share with us that you're like super excited about? Yeah. So since all my work is open source, I can share everything. <laughs> well, that is like the best part of talking to you because um, <laughs> puppet struggles are real. And that's all I'm saying about that. Yeah. I hate puppet, but it's kind of like democracy. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. They're all bad. This is the best one. No, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually speaking at a puppet camp this month in San Francisco. It's a local little thing. 
So, Puppet's cool. Puppet Camp in Denver just happened last week. Yeah, they have them all over, like, all the time, so. Yeah, I didn't get to go, though, so I'm pretty sad about that. Aw. You should propose a talk next time. <laughs> How to not manage <laughs> your puppet server. Your config <laughs> management sucks, and you should feel bad. <laughs> if you're doing it like us, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, so like it, it's actually very funny because my my talk is about like open sourcing your it's a talk I've given at several places, but like open sourcing your entire public config, and I go through like our history of how we did it like totally wrong for like three years, and then like the documentation we have on how we fixed it. Like it's totally like we totally did this wrong, and we we bad puppeters. But here's what we learned when people actually started using our infrastructure for themselves. So anyway, like exciting things. Um, the biggest project I'm working on right now is uh moving to a new translations platform for the OpenStack project. So we did, last year we did a bunch of evaluation and worked with the translations team. Um, and now we're actually puppetizing and, and packaging up all of the all the translation software stuff from a project called Zanata, headed up by Red Hat. So that's been fun. I've got a couple of people who are new to the infrastructure team who are working with me on that. So it's like I'm the master of the project and they are my minions. So <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> now when you say translations, you mean like internationalization? Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. So... So like yeah, yeah so like cool. a lot of a lot of projects use TransFX for translations and they used to have an open source project. So everything we do has to be open source like we can't use proprietary tools for for many reasons. But since TransFX had an open source project, we were like, well, you know, if they end up going away, we still have this open source project. So we can use their hosted solution. So we were using their hosted solution and then last year they stopped development on their open source one and just fully went like closed source. And that's not cool. So that's when this whole project for us came up is we needed to we need to move off of them because we don't use GitHub because that's proprietary. We're not going to use TransFX because that's proprietary. So we have to run our own. Now, does OpenStack run on HP Unix? I have no idea. It'd <laughs> be, be a good experiment to try out. I have my doubts because I mean, let's let's be frank. Not not much does run on HP Unix, but now now. <laughs> I know, I know. So, like, I, it's it's a like date, I, sorry, I don't. But... It, it's it's funny because like they they hired me to work on OpenStack, so I don't actually know very much about HP. Like they're super they're super supportive, but they've pretty much just like donated me to the OpenStack infrastructure team. Like oh, I cool. don't they, they and they also like send me to conferences around the world, and so they're like like epic supportive. But I really don't know anything about internal HP stuff because the only time I interact with them is when I'm trying to promote like open source outreach stuff or when I'm trying to help teams internally like learn about open source. So cool. Okay. Well, in that case. <laughs> I, I would still be curious if we have any HP Unix admins out there, um, give it a shot and let us know. But a little while back, you, you wrote the official, you co-authored the official Ubuntu book, the 8th edition. What was it like writing that? Yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun. Um, it was sort of always on my, my life to-do list to write a book. So when the opportunity arose to do a revision of an existing book, I was like, yeah, I'm totally on that. Because like, as my first try, you know, writing a book seems really hard. Writing a revision maybe won't be so hard. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's okay. That's how we learn. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure writing a revision is much easier than writing a whole book. Um, but it was, you know, it was still, I mean, it took us like a, you know, month and a half of back and forth, which is not very long, but we were also trying to sort of future proof the book a bit more. Um, cause they had released, I think previously they were releasing every year, but they wanted to start releasing only with the LTS release. So we had to make sure that like all of our changes in addition to being 
still accurate in three months when the book's actually, book was actually published, to also sort of make it so it was future-proof for two years. So that was actually pretty time-consuming, writing all those pieces. What we did was we, we had sort of a team working on it. So there was Matthew Helbke, who's my co-author, and then uh, Jose Antonio Rey, who is a contributor in the Ubuntu community from Peru, and he was, a, he was one of the contributing authors. So the three of us sort of split up the chapters that existed, and then we all just did our revisions and then came back and reviewed each other's chapters. And it was all through this, this tool at that uh, Pearson, the publisher, has, where we upload our files and share them around. It was like an integrated peer review kind of thing? It, you know, it was it was okay. But it was, you know, it worked for, like, us. Like, it was more like a file share, honestly. Like, <laughs> okay. It just had, like, revisions and dates and, like, stuff, so. Oh, got it. But it it, it was it was fine. But it, it was actually, like, once I got over the fact that it's actually a lot of work, and I, I went to visit my family in Maine while I was writing it, and, like, I spent, like, I must have spent, like, six hours while I was there, like, writing stuff, and they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> I have a book to finish. Sorry. <laughs> uh, do you have a Do you have anything else in the works along those lines? Um. Yeah. So I'm I'm talking to my publisher about writing my own book, about more focused on work I'm doing now rather than the Ubuntu stuff I was doing for fun and still sort of do. But we'll see. I I should hopefully have news in a few months. <laughs> That'd be great. We're uh, we're really excited about that. Make sure you let us know. So we'll we'll definitely give it a plug when it comes out. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Moving along, we've mostly talked about your career and how that kind of developed. In as much detail as you'd like to share or you're comfortable with, tell us anything about you that you want us to know or anybody to know. I mean, obviously we know you have two cats because they have their own websites, <laughs> which is awesome. I didn't know that. That's lovely. You did? I did not know that. They're also V6 oh, enabled. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> not the cats, the websites. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's a joke there about uh, Cat 5e and Cat 6, but I can't I can't work it in in time, so keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I live here with uh, live here in San Francisco with my, my husband Mike Joseph. He uh, he does secret things at Google and is currently traveling. <laughs> and he's he's also been hugely influential in my my open source and and career. And he's super supportive, which is it's very good. <laughs> I also, I travel a lot. I think I mentioned HP sends me places. Um, this year, so far, so in 2015, I went to uh, Fostum in Brussels, where I gave a talk about Puppet. I went to Oman uh, last month. If you don't I have a map, that. it's like, it's like in the, the southwest corner of the Arabian Peninsula. And that was, that was amazing. Like, they have a lot of money and a lot of passion, and they really want to bring more open source into their country. So I came to talk about, like, having a career in open source. That was a lot of fun, and the people were amazing, and I didn't have to dress strangely. Like, I just, a shirt and slacks. People keep getting confused. They're like, oh my gosh, you went to a Middle Eastern country. It must have been so scary. I'm like, what? It was, like, the best <laughs> conference I've been to in a year. <laughs> oh, also, like, half the audience was women, which oh, never wow. happens at open source conference. That's yeah, really cool. Yeah, so I was, I was pretty excited that they had such a diverse audience. I'm going to PostCon. That's uh, PostCon.org in South Carolina. Not quite as exotic, but it'll be fun. What am I talking about there? I don't even remember. They emailed me in December and they're like, you should come speak at our conference. I'm like, okay, well, on what? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the thread died. <laughs> no, they, I, they, I did actually have a topic, but I forget what it is. Probably like open source systems administration or something. Yeah, I talk about that a lot. I love to travel. Last year, I, I did over 100,000 miles in airplanes. Of course, my, my husband takes care of the cats when I'm gone. And then I take care of the cats when he's gone, like right now. <laughs> cool. Very cool. We are out of official questions we wanted to ask, but we've got a little bit of time left. We haven't we haven't talked about my beer. Oh, your beer! That's right, Jaython, you didn't add it to the questions. <laughs> no, I did. Maybe you just didn't refresh. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, he's like frantically trying to add it in there. Uh, no, it's not there. Uh, what are you drinking right now? 
I'm drinking a Racer 5 IPA by Bear Republic Brewing. Bear Republic. Do you know where they're out of? Yeah, they're in uh, Heldsburg, California. I actually went to their brew pub, and I have the beer is in its own like official glass. Wow. Oh, that's, that <laughs> is pretty legit. That's right. I really like beer, and one of my cats is named Simcoe, and that is a type of hop. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I am not drinking beer. I'm drinking Knob Creek bourbon. Ooh, oh, this... come on. You, you grow to love it. I'm sorry. I just can't really get on the bourbon bus. I can drink scotch. I like eh. scotch a lot. I don't know. That's kind of snobby, you know. <laughs> it is. He's, yeah, okay. he's secretly an 80-year-old man. <laughs> Pretty much. Did you see my picture today on Twitter of me smoking my pipe? I did not. <laughs> I'll take yeah. a look. No, well, the thing about bourbon is you have to find you have to find one that's you. You know, I've got I've got like two or three bourbons slash whiskeys that I actually like. Knob Creek is, is probably the cheapest of them. No, Bullet. I like Bullet, and that's that's pretty cheap. Knob Creek is the next one up in terms of price. I'm pretty fond of Knob Creek, and you can find it almost anywhere. Same with Bullet. But the, the, the golden egg for me, a whiskey called Jefferson's Reserve, and I haven't been able to find it since I, I first got it. I'll probably have to go out of state. For those that don't know, Pennsylvania liquor and, and alcohol laws are just absolutely batshit crazy. So I'll probably have to go to Lake Jersey or something to find it again. It's it's delicious. It's fantastic. So I would su- say, Jathan, to just keep trying. You might find a bourbon you like if you if you can handle scotch, but you know you gotta you gotta put some effort into it. Yeah, well, I'll put it on the do list. <laughs> I like to think of myself as a classy drinker. Like, I'll go out and order a gin and tonic or, like, a dry gin martini. If you saw the price tag of Jefferson's Reserve, you'd definitely think it's classy. It's, it's not a cheap bourbon. Oh, are you... What are you drinking right now? Water. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, you, you, you told me it's that, like, I'm drinking in... beer was a thing during this podcast, and I know that's just a total lie now. It's it's all about the grapefruits and the bourbon <laughs> water, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> No, if I was in my own room, I would be drinking all of the beer. But we also would be able to hear you. It's true. Well, I had some craft beer that I finished off last weekend. I didn't really drink over the past week because I had exams before spring break. So all that's left in my fridge is Miller Lite, which is like my go-to. It's a Wednesday night. I shouldn't be drinking anyway, but I'm going to have beer. That's gross, dude. Even even with that, I'd I'd do PBR over Miller Lite. (laughs) Ooh, God, no. Do you know there's a PBR Lite? Ew. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, is that is that water with like a drop of beer in it? What is that? Well, you have to. That's just a waste. You have to still still fit resources. in your skinny jeans. So of course, I need to wash my girlish figure. So <laughs> well, I thought of another serious question. Yeah, yeah we got we got some time. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, so mostly, Liz, like I know both of you from IRC, and specifically, I know both of you from the Ubuntu Pennsylvania IRC channel. Yes, and that's something Brent and I have talked about before. But I think getting involved with open source can be really intimidating to a lot of people. But I think a lot of people, or at least more people than are involved, want to be involved. So according to to you and i'd consider you like a professional open sourcer if such a thing exists well she gets paid to do it so yeah, <laughs> yeah i would I mean, say so i guess in that respect she really is a professional open sourcer but i mean what do you think is the best entry point for somebody who you know maybe can't go ahead and submit patches to fix bugs in the kernel or or even like a specific program how can they get involved and how can they help slash ignore root squared <laughs> yeah so like there's this this common misconception that everything in open source is code like it's totally not um if you've ever seen open source documentation you know that a lot of projects could use some help <laughs> <laughs> yes yes <laughs> the, the situation of, of like project websites isn't as dire as it used to be um a lot of projects have flashy looking github pages or whatever and those are cool um but there's always things that are superfluous to the actual code of the project that are essential for the project to work so i 
I, I typically tell people to start either like submitting bugs, um, which anyone can do, um, like if they find a problem. As speaking as someone working on the Zubuntu project, our team is so small that we honestly don't know about a lot of bugs that pop up unless people tell us about them. Like we we do the testing that's required to release our ISOs, but we're a small team. A lot of our testing is virtualized. We need a lot of people doing tests and submitting bug reports and saying, hey, my graphics card's not working with this latest release. I can't boot up my image. And we're like, wow, we need to go fix that. Especially and that's the way a lot of sorry, keep going. Oh no, that, that's just the way a lot of open source projects are. They're small. Especially if if they've got some pretty exotic hardware, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, that too. So there's there's things like bug reporting and testing. Um, also support, like just dropping in an IRC channel, like well, not 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 like Brent does. He's not helpful. <laughs> <but> not. <laughs> Only in some channels. <laughs> If I, kind look, of if I'm in a in, if I'm in a channel, like the OpenVPN channel, for instance, if I'm in there and I'm asking for support, I'll hang around and I'll answer other people's questions for a little bit to pay back. You know, no, that's I, cool. I'm 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 just teasing. You you've been really helpful on the plug list too. Yeah, that's true. Oh my gosh, was that your oh, cat? Hi, Simco. That's a wild cat. She's a Siamese. I haven't petted her lately. She's objecting. Oh. She doesn't know anything about open source. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Let's see what else. Um, so you can also contribute to things like um, documentation. Um, I think in a, in a past episode, Brent, you talked about the wiki for Gen 2. Yeah. Um, and, and the one for Arch. Like the only reason those are so amazing is because like, individuals have been contributing to the wiki and making them better. Yeah, both are 100% user user submitted. Yeah, so you don't need to know how to code at all. You just like update a wiki page when you find a problem with it. Um, so totally do that um, if you're interested in getting involved with open source. Um, you know, and then there's there's things beyond that. I, I mentioned that we're redeveloping the translations tool for OpenStack. Um, if you know a second language, unlike me, <laughs> um, <laughs> you could you could uh, contribute to translations. So that's your you know German grandmother can use your software. <laughs> yeah, so those are sort of general tips. Also, don't be afraid to get involved. And if you do join a project and are like, hi, I want to help, you should tell them what you want to help with, or at least like explain what your expertise is. Because I see a lot of people join and they're really enthusiastic and they're really genuine, but we don't know what to do with them when they say, I want to help. And we're like, okay, like, we what don't are know you anything. good at? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we don't know anything about them. Like we don't know if they're a programmer or a documentation person. So we can like show them a gen generic, like getting involved page, but that doesn't really inspire, you know, passion or excitement. Um, so when you join, just be like, Hey, I'm a tech writer. I want to help. And we'll be like, yes, and we'll point <laughs> you to the right thing. <laughs> Very true. I was going to say something. And it just slipped my mind. That's, that's the whiskey, man. <laughs> It'll kill you. <laughs> it won't kill you. <laughs> Honestly, the cigarettes might kill me first. <laughs> uh probably <laughs> 10 a day that's rough that's yeah, it's it varies sometimes i'll do like four a day you know it all depends do you want to talk about the totally lamest open ssl vulnerability this week oh freak oh no no not freak um <laughs> no the... what's what's this one named did I, it have a oh, name yeah yes and i'm sick of them naming stupid things I think I, thank like, you thank you like i don't even remember it was just so stupid and you, like not important <laughs> it was, I, I think I remember it being like basically just another, uh, just another like a freak escalation downgrade. or something. Yeah, yeah, it was like the same yeah. thing. Just yeah. another downgrade. So that's now the third downgrade attack we've had in like what, like a month now, and it's still everybody's still being like super sensational about it. I'm like, give it a rest. Like, yeah, like OpenSSL's going through a code audit. This shit happens. It hasn't been audited in, in... <laughs> ever. Ever, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that I am excited about. Now, is it Libre SSL or Lib Re SSL? I just assumed it was Libre, but that's that's know. what I thought. But like both make sense, <laughs> so now I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> because 
I, I can't remember if we talked about this on the show before or not. Libra SSL is like basically a, a total rewrite of OpenSSL. It's supposed to be like fully compatible, kind of like MariaDB, which is awesome, yeah. by the way. So it's supposed to be like totally compatible, but not sucky. So I think they have a Linux version ported out now, but I just I yeah, haven't heard I, a lot. I think they do, and I think they have a stable release of it out. It's just not like in distros yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? I think it might be an Arch. Hold on. Well, Arch on. is different because it's Arch has like a release. <laughs> yeah, Arch has its own special. Are you searching too, Jathan? Yeah. Oh, your password's shorter. That's not cool. What? <laughs> your root password's shorter than mine. Mine? That wasn't my root password. Oh, I don't know what you're doing or not doing at the moment. You don't need a root password to search packages. What are you doing? Oh, uh, it's not in there. I wonder if it's oh. an AOR. No, we're all like... <laughs> God, I don't even want to admit this right now, but every time I've searched for a package, I have <laughs> I have prepended the command with sudo. Oh my God. <laughs> Jathan... <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm going back to Gen 2, it was easier. <laughs> oh, that's, that's rich. No, so they're, they do have Libra SSL in the AUR, which is basically like the Arch equivalent of PPA, but not in the main repositories. So if, if not even Arch... It'll be there soon. Yeah, if not even Arch has it, we'll see. It already has like 17 votes, so it might make its way in there. Yeah, 17 votes. I'm excited about that. Oh, well, I mean, hopefully we stop hearing about things like Freak. I don't know. I, I, I have mixed feelings about this this tendency to like just give up and fork. Like I get that open SSL had like has problems, but given all the latest publicity, I, I'm I'm more inclined to wait wait out and make sure like hopefully they'll they'll get better and not just fork and rewrite. Are you are you worried about fragmentation then? Yeah, I just I just seems like it's a waste of effort. Like with with Debian and Duvian or whatever the fork is without system D. Oh right. Yeah. I think oh, I think yeah. it, that's so stupid. I'm not uh, in my opinion. I'm not really thrilled with that. I I just would rather see all of the talented people working on the same project together. Like in the case of Debian's, like you could have the system D version and also like, you know, work to have other init systems supported. Um, yeah, why don't, why don't you see that? Why don't you see like in project in project branches? Yeah, I mean, I, maybe they had really good reasons, but I just, I just wasn't seeing it. And same with like LibreSSL. I'm like, ugh, why do we need to do this again? <laughs> right. I don't know. Like, I mean, ho ho hopefully, OpenSSL has been shamed into better security practices. <laughs> <laughs> no, they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they have. Because, I mean, there's a lot of vested interest in, in OpenSSL. It's not just the uh, the OpenBSD devs anymore. It's everybody. Yeah. I, oh, I would I... venture to say OpenSSL might have more eyes looking at it. Not not more developers, but more eyes looking at it than the uh, the kernel source, the Linux kernel source. Well, it's a little easier. It's kind of smaller. I mean, yeah, that's... <laughs> a, little, a little bit. That's true. I've heard it's a lot more horrifying, though, so... <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I hear. I'm, I'm not a code auditor by any means means but um the the stories i've heard is like sort of like staring in the face of cthulhu where it's it's like once you go there you just hit you reach a brink of madness and you can't go back so <laughs> i hope it's not that bad because it's it's what everybody's been using for decades for like maybe decade and a half now i'd say how long has open ssl been around 12 years 12 years yeah no, I, I just threw that out. Oh, okay. Actually, no. I think it, seems, it must be longer than that. Yeah, because... it seems longer than 12 years. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's I, been I around know. for a while. We all still use email, and that's a horribly insecure, broken part of the internet. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> okay, to be fair, I would not use email if other people would not use email with me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. It's just too... <laughs> well, what would you use, Jathan? Would you use, like, XMPP? Yep, with encryption. Okay. 
<laughs> Why aren't you using GPG in your email then? Because I use Gmail web client and I I mean we've talked about this already. I know, but why are you why are you using a web client? Because I don't send anything that I wouldn't want anybody else to see through an email because it's horribly insecure. But then you then you can't use GPG. I could go all day. Okay, no, so the best part is when you use GPG and your recipient actually knows how to use it. Right. So they can decrypt your email, right? Yeah. And then they, then they like you send them a password and then they like reply in plain text and they're like thanks. <laughs> With, oh my god. <laughs> it's an inline reply. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. That's really funny. No, but I mean it totally to be fair, happens. Oh my gosh. I That's horrible. To be fair, like who am I emailing? I'm a student. I email professors or other students or you and that's stupid anyway. <laughs> Why is, like, why is that stupid? Because why am I emailing you? Like, we're in like six different IRC channels together, and probably. we talk on Mumble, yeah. like right now. And I probably could just send you a letter to your house. You yeah, but I'm not gonna. It's, I'm not gonna reply though. Uh, I'm trying to move away from the analog world. <laughs> oh, see, too much time wasted. I'm trying to get closer to it. <laughs> You're one of those hippy dippies, huh? <laughs> I do love me some trees. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I live in Boulder. What do you want? Touche, touche. Was that was was that an innuendo for for smoking the reefer? No. Okay. Because it's totally, as clean as they come. Man. It totally could have been. No, you're right. It could have. That's a shame. That was like a wasted innuendo right there. Well, people don't really like use innuendos surrounding that topic here anymore because if you do, you're just kind of like not cool. <laughs> because because well, it's because legal. Yeah. So, yeah, everybody's so open about it here. If you talk about it in any kind of like hush hush way, then people are just like. What the hell are you doing right now? Look, you have an excuse. You were raised out of state, and <laughs> you still talk with people from out of state, so... I'm excited. My family is coming to visit for the first time since I started school in May, and it's on my to-do list. Like, I want them to go buy weed. Just <laughs> oh, I was... I just want them to do it. <laughs> I was going to facetiously ask to toke up with them, but then, like, I realized you were headed in that direction. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else we're going to do with that once we buy it. <laughs> You could, uh, you could bake it. You know, you don't necessarily have to smoke it. You could, uh... <laughs> you're still ingesting you it. You could... Oh, oh, you're talking about, like, non-ingestion. Um, you could use it as... If you grind it up really well, you could use it as a replacement for glitter. You could... <laughs> okay. Heard it makes a great air fresh. You could... <laughs> Here you go. Potpourri. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is getting ridiculous. Yeah, they're gonna stop listening before this even happens. That's all right. It's it's gonna be shorter in the in the uh, the final version. So I think I think we're done for now. <laughs> yeah, we better be done. Liz, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it was awesome talking to you. Obviously, we're looking forward to whatever else you have to share in the future. More Ubuntu books, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's great talking to you guys. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can uh, have you again. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. Oh, I'm Liz. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been System Ministry Trivia. See you later.